0: so shall we get started on the episode
1: let's do this
0: okay um let's see how how do i start one of these things again that's right um, <laughs> hello i'm jason i'm laura and welcome to come back a star a movie award um divorce we are uh, watch- i'd
1: say a movie award beheading but it's all a matter of perspective
0: that's true we are watching every Best Picture winner and nominee from 1927 onwards, and this is episode number 040, I believe. Um, sounds right. Ooh, the big 40. Um, the Private Life of Henry VIII. All
1: right. Just as salacious as it sounds.
0: It really is. Um, it's uh, it's uh, pretty salacious and pretty, I guess, funny in a way.
1: Oh, yeah. It's it's funny. It's, it's strangely surreal just because I think we modern audiences are used to period pieces being very kind of self-serious and uh, long and epic. And this is just kind of the opposite of that. It does not take itself seriously. It has serious bits that I think are more impactful for the fact that most of it is lighthearted. Uh, but it also, I wouldn't say it's particularly epic either. It's very uh fast-paced and uh unusual, I'd say.
0: I think that's a fair assessment. Um, yeah, I'll also say that um Cassandra's assessment of the movie, which she did watch with me, was okay. that uh perhaps Charles Lawson should have gotten an award for Uh, actor who most enjoyed their role?
1: Uh, Heck yes. Uh, He started the trend of uh, actors uh, either winning or getting nominated for playing Henry VIII. And I think he probably had the most fun uh, playing him. So I agree.
0: Absolutely. So uh, what we do in this show, let's cover that first, is uh, we're going to kind of recount the plot for you listening and uh, we'll give our little observations as we go along and while we review the plot and after that we are going to go ahead and review uh and rate the movie on a series of different categories including acting writing cinematography and overall and then after that we're going to give the movie a chance for some bonus points on bonus rounds such as Costumes and set, which I think this movie will do well in boldness, legacy, longevity and technical achievements. All that jazz, all that great stuff. So um, I guess without further ado, shall we get into the plot?
1: Let's jump into it. You take it away.
0: All right. Alexander Corda's 1933 The Private Life of Henry VIII begins in 1536, just as Henry's second wife is about to be executed. While Merle Oberon's Anne Boleyn strives to maintain her dignity on her last day alive, Henry's soon-to-be third wife, Jane Seymour, played by Wendy Berry, giddily prepares for her nuptials, which are set to occur just after the execution.
1: Yeah, they really do kind of hammer hard on some of the stereotypes we have about Henry's Wives, that uh, uh, Anne Boleyn was this dark lady of mystery and Jane Seymour was this uh, uh, dizzy little baby woman. Obviously, I think the reality is a bit more nuanced. But again, this is not this isn't probably a movie you'd go to for complete historical accuracy. I'll just throw that out there.
0: No, uh, in fact... It wasn't on the exact same day. It was, no. uh, it was, you know, I think the next day that he became engaged to, uh, Jane Seymour <laughs> and they actually got married a couple of weeks afterwards. So, you know,
1: you know, let's not slander Henry's name too much. I mean, my goodness, actually, I don't mind at all. If Henry's slandered,
0: <laughs> uh, z- same here. He, he was not, he was not a great person.
1: I don't sound like it. No.
0: You definitely wouldn't think so after watching this movie, but, you know, we'll we'll get into that. Uh, the macabre confluence of events is observed by the ladies-in-waiting, including one Catherine Howard, played by Benny Barnes. She expresses distaste for the situation and for the king. However, after meeting and flirting with J- Charles Lawton's uh, Henry VIII, she begins to aspire to a higher station than her current one.
1: I do find it interesting that... Uh the main wife in this, the one we see the most, who gets the most screen time, is Catherine Howard. Since she's in most uh, adaptations and productions, she's usually the one who's kind of the most dismissed. I, she was the youngest. Um, she really didn't know what she was getting into and marrying Henry. And so a lot of people just kind of dismiss her right. as the little flirt who doesn't last too long, spoiler alert. Um, so it's kind of cool i think that they decided to make her the main focal point uh it's unusual and i don't think it ever happened again but i could be wrong
0: yeah okay. and also i think they kind of missed a chance here to kind of explore her as a character since they were trying to cram in almost yes. all of the wives into a single movie that you don't really get to see that development from this character who doesn't like henry and thinks it's all atrocious to one who wants to be married to Henry and also have uh, affairs on the side. They they don't really show that evolution.
1: I think we're supposed to pick up on this first meeting with Henry, that she feels this kind of spark or feels that he's attracted to her and it triggers this ambition she didn't know she had in her But frankly, you know, the movie is more interested in Charles Lawton's hijinks as Henry. So I think that's really the only hint we get before she becomes power hungry.
0: All right. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Anyhow. Yeah, that's how we started. And we should also cover that uh, Catherine of Aragon was (laughs) they have a blurb at the start of the movie saying like, well, her story is not terribly important to this. So we're just going to skip her.
1: She was a respectable woman. So we're passing over her basically. Which is, you know, sad for Catherine, but fair for the storytelling of this. But yeah, for Catherine the Baragon. So poor Anne is executed and Jane marries Henry. Some months later, Henry is thrilled to learn he finally has a son and spares only a few moments of grief for Jane, who has died in childbirth.
0: Which Which is is not historically accurate.
1: No, she, poor, I mean, it's, it's a kinder to Jane because the real Jane, I think, lingered for weeks afterwards. So I'm sure it would have been better had she died right out for her. But, uh, but I think it's, you know, I, I remember this moment from when I first saw this movie years and years ago when I was a kid and I, it's just perfectly captures the mood of this movie in that Henry has like this, this brief moment where he's like, poor little, uh, Jane well, where's the boy? And it's just, it's, it's so morbid and darkly comic. This is very much a dark comedy. And I respect yeah. that. You don't get that a lot in uh, historical dramas, uh, a, a dark comedic twist, but there we are.
0: Yeah. And also, um, in reality, I think Henry truly mourned the loss of Jane because it, I mean, this was the wife who gave him a son. And so of course she's very important. To him, but uh, there was a genuine affection that they had, and that really doesn't fit into the mold of Henry VIII that we want to see in this movie, where he's just kind of this chaotic monster, um, which he was in real life. But they're playing it up even more here.
1: <laughs> yeah, because I mean, the truth is, there's nuance and uh, different shades of black and white to most people, even someone like Henry. And yeah, I guess he had uh, later on in life, even when he was married to other women. He'd have family portraits done with Jane Seymour in them, even though she was long gone. So, I mean, who knows if it was genuine love on his part or just genuine admiration that she was the kind, obedient wife who gave him a son. But yeah, he did hold her in guard. But in the meantime, he continues his flirtation with Catherine Howard, much to the chagrin of her lover and Henry's closest courtier, Thomas Culpepper, played by Robert Donat pepper tries to convince Catherine that their love is more important than her dreams of being queen, but she disagrees. And again, I agree with you. We don't really get to know why. I think the real Catherine Howard who was a, a cousin of Anne Boleyn's, I think, but a poor cousin. I think she came from pretty, pretty poor beginnings. So to getting a little hint of that would have given her context and some understanding of why she's so ambitious but again
0: she's also like 15 or something like that when she got married
1: yeah yeah i can't say benny barnes would be my first person i'd cast she looks pretty adult um i mean she does a good job but isn't really believable as a teenager
0: true true but i mean and also it doesn't i don't know why i'm so interested in hitting like the reality but In in, in, in (laughs) this, in this movie, that's clearly not about reality, but, (laughs) uh, Catherine Howard was just kind of pushed into it by her family and she was just a very ordinary teenager who, you know, had other love interests than this 50 year old something man.
1: Exactly. Yeah.
0: So, um, her courtship is interrupted with the King. When his uh, counselors insist on his marrying the German Anne of Cleves instead, played by Lawton's real life wife, Elsa Lanchester, Lanchester, one of
1: my all time favorites. I
0: love her. She was great. She was fantastic in this uh, in this story. She and really is. Yeah. Well acted. And also the character is just like a fun, fun character to have. Um,
1: yeah. Anne of Cleves. I mean, I think everybody loves Anne of Cleves, who reads the history of her and everything. And I think that's reflected here.
0: Henry sends the painter Hans Holbein to Germany to paint her portrait, along with Courtier uh, Thomas Pennell, played by John Loder, and uh, to present his proposal to Anne. Yet it is Pennell and Anne who fall in love. Holbein, after telling Anne not to make faces or she will look ugly in her portrait, unknowingly gives her a, gives the clever princess an idea on how to escape this marriage uh mainly by by ruining it
1: <laughs> by ruining it yeah so uh henry is interrupted in an attempted seduction of catherine by the news that anne has arrived in england he is immediately disappointed with her as she does indeed make faces and affect clumsiness i mean i don't know how realistic it is because i mean she's still obviously very pretty but um You know, I think also just we're it's pretty anti-German sentiment of just look at these weird, clumsy Germans. But uh, I mean, Elsa Lanchester is great with the physical comedy, so I won't.
0: Yeah, Um, she also she doesn't just like, oh, I'm going to make faces and make myself look ugly. It's just kind of like she puts on this very weird aura, which plays out perfectly.
1: Yes, the perfect little dingbat that you could see driving somebody insane.
0: Yeah, someone especially like Henry. Um, And I do appreciate that uh, that they have the setup that they do with her acting clumsy and everything like that. But also the real story is also pretty funny in that uh, Henry tried to do the thing where he's in disguise and they fall in love. And, you know, that's that was whole courtly love sort of thing that was supposed to play out. And Anne allegedly did not know of this tradition and just thought that this was some like weird guy trying to hit on her, and you know promptly ignored her and was repulsed by her by him, and um, and was instead more in in invested in like the wool baiting that they were watching nearby.
1: Yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that's what makes her like the hashtag relatable. Uh, princess it's like i don't have any time or capacity for this court courtship nonsense i just want to hang and uh i i i dig that i really dig that <laughs> but they make her more probably more cunning in this than she was in real life but i'll take it right uh, on their wedding night she puts on an act of dopiness pretending not to know what goes on in the wedding bed she does, however, know how to play cards. And soon she and the king are betting higher and higher stakes as she keeps winning, all played out on their wedding night.
0: Yeah, on, Unable on to the bed. Her
1: or, what's that?
0: <laughs> on the wedding bed. They're playing on cards. On the wedding bed.
1: I love it. It's it's a, it's definitely one of the more memorable scenes. Unable to take her or the situation anymore, Henry agrees to the terms she gives him. A divorce with landed money and Pinel as a master of her house. So yay, Anne gets what she wants. I think my secret theory with the wedding was that, um, you know, a lot is played out that Henry just found her ugly and repulsive and wasn't attracted to her. And maybe that was true. But his he was definitely going through some health problems here. And I think he had intermittent bouts of impotence. So I think uh-huh. he probably put, put out the story that, oh, well, I couldn't have sex with her because she's so dang ugly. Whereas it was more probably just like, he couldn't perform at that time. So too bad we didn't, couldn't get that really explicitly spelled out for us in this uh, uh, 1933 movie. But I'd, I'd say a card game is just as good.
0: Yeah, it was it was a pretty funny and comedic point. And um, I think everyone agrees that historically Anne Cleves made out the best of all oh, of Henry's wives. Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Got to have like a nice house, a nice Tension basically and didn't get bothered um, for the rest yep. of her days so that's good um, oh yeah she did not have
1: to sleep with him that lucky lucky team <laughs>
0: <gasps> okay so with that marriage out of the way henry again turns his sights on catherine uh, howard they finally marry at first this is a happy marriage with uh, henry madly in love with the young queen In an attempt to impress her during one of the night's games, he wrestles the reigning champion and is able to flip him. However, he then collapses and a frantic Catherine and Culpepper take him to bed. Catherine breaks down in front of Culpepper and tells him he was right. Their love is more important than being queen.
1: And again, there's really not a lot to invest us in the relationship between Catherine and Culpepper. It's one of those romances where... We're told these two, you know, handsome young people are in love with each other. Just accept it. I mean, we don't get a lot of background as to what drew them to each other. And honestly, we don't get really a good transitional scene to illustrate why Catherine is suddenly fed up with Henry. I mean, it it was a pretty disruptive night and uh, Henry was trying to uh, show off in front of her. And that's frustrating. But again... You know, it's really not about Catherine or Culpepper. It's about Charles Lawton being Henry VIII. So, oh, for sure.
0: For yeah, sure. it's not
1: what we're So after threatening various maids and household staff with torture, Henry's counselors are able to obtain proof of the Queen and Culpepper's affair. They tell Henry, who is at first infuriated and then heartbroken. And yeah, I think Lawton is pretty fantastic in this scene. You really get a sense that he... Either he really was or really believed himself to be in love with Catherine. And uh, you really do feel like you're seeing. Uh, it's like uh, Bart showing Lisa the video of Ralph. You could pinpoint the exact thing where his heart shatters. And I, I you really do get that sense here.
0: <laughs> yeah, my my one complaint about that bit was that um, they have this whole scene about oh, nobody wants to tell the king about what's going on. And yet they also had an earlier scene where everyone's giddily like pumping information out of these uh, these servants and things like that to prove that Catherine Howard is uh, cheating on the king. So they did a lot of work to make it happen. And then once it comes time, no one wants to actually tell the king.
1: Well, I think they kind of knew Henry would freak out and try to throttle somebody like he does. So it's probably like, hooray, we can. I can't really. That's another complaint is they don't really set up why all the counselors want to expose uh, Catherine Howard. Right. I mean, I think, you know, there were reasons why people wanted Anne out of the way and Jane as queen. I think probably religious stuff. I can't remember now, but we're not really given that kind of reasoning here. So it just seems like they're ganging up on her to gang up on her, which stinks. But yeah, so unlike his indifference when Anne Boleyn was killed, Henry is in torment the day Catherine and Culpepper are executed. So I think it's a little, you know, divine retribution for the audience to enjoy that. Okay, Catherine and Culpepper are meeting the same fate as Anne. But at least this time, uh, Henry feels like he's being punished, too. Although, you know, he still gets to be king and live on. So not too much.
0: Yeah, no, no real comeuppance ever is is forthcoming on uh, on Henry VIII here as as in real life. Well, uh, I mean, know, aside- he was
1: kind of a, a living, a walk-in living uh, portrait of Dorian Gray. He, he definitely suffered physically for his many sins. That's and, true. But otherwise, yeah. Being a king was not a bad thing to be back then if all you cared about was yourself.
0: <laughs> the years passed and we see Henry next in 1543. He is an old man. Anne of Cleves uh, comes to visit and he greets her as an old friend after he reveals his loneliness to her who, again, which is ironic since he killed, you know, a couple of wives. Yeah, um, a couple
1: of wives. So you could have let them live, huh?
0: And they, they do play into that, too. It's just kind of like, oh, what was me? I'm so lonely. And we just we had just seen him execute his uh, his beloved Catherine Howard. Yep. Uh, Anne of Cleves advises him to marry Catherine Parr, a lady in waiting that his children adore. He does so only to discover that she is a scold who strictly dictates his diet and naps. <laughs> After sneaking some chicken when she leaves the room to his nap, he breaks the fourth wall and tells the audience six wives, and the best of them is the worst.
1: Wah, wah. Yeah, so.
0: Yeah, if Henry eating in, chicken is a theme too.
1: Yeah, if you're going in expecting like a masterpiece theater or even like something sexy like the Tudors, you're not going to get that with Private Life of Henry VIII. But if you're going in wanting kind of like this this just sort of fun dark comedy, I think you'll be pleased. I like I like this movie a lot.
0: Oh yeah, it's lots of lots of fun. Um it there's really a is. lot of there's a lot of chicken being thrown over shoulders. Absolutely. Um and a lot of Charles Lawton just really enjoying being a gross old Henry VIII. Um, yes,
1: he is just, he really does seem bored to this particular betrayal. He just really owns it.
0: Very boorish and it's fantastic.
1: Yep, yeah. And a lot of historians are like, oh, but, you know, Henry would have had polished manners and blah, blah, blah. I'm like you know what, maybe for once we should just have a portrayal of like how he was in his soul. And it sounds like that's pretty accurate to what he was deep inside. Um, yeah, so this, I mean, this movie does have some pretty uh, interesting background. Uh, Alexander Korda was from Hungary and he and his brothers actually uh, worked on this movie and other movies until I think they kind of ran a lot of the British cinema going on at the time. Um, and he eventually married Merle Oberon, who uh, appears very briefly as Anne Boleyn. But she's so striking in the role that this actually helped kickstart her career, um, where she eventually went over to America and starred in Wuthering Heights in 38 or 39. Oh, nice. And I, yeah. And uh, so she uh, became pretty famous after that. And She's a pretty interesting character herself. Uh, she hit it throughout her career, but uh, her mother... Uh, was Indian and um, Oberon lived with her all her life, but pretty much made her mother pretend to be her servant. So oh, it was a very, yeah, very strange life she led. And, um, but she brings, I think a lot of weight to Anne Boleyn. And again, it's only a few scenes, but they're very haunting.
0: I did not know that about her. Um Yeah, cool, cool that she got to have a a career launched and and less cool about her mom.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. she she sounds like someone with a lot of you could have a lot of empathy for her background. But the more you read about her personally, she doesn't sound like probably the most morally up and coming person. But again, we need to walk a mile in her shoes before we can say.
0: Surely, surely. So should we start rating this movie now?
1: Let's rate this puppy.
0: All right. Our first category up is acting. How was the acting in this movie?
1: Oh, gotta love it. Um, I think I'm going to give it, because of Lawton, because of Oberon, because of Lanchester, who were just perfect in their roles, I'm going to give it a nine, keeping a point off, just because, you know, like, Binnie Barnes is good, and Robert Donat is fine, but they don't particularly stand out, and they don't particularly own their roles as well as uh, Lawton or Lanchester do. But still overall, pretty fantastic performances. Oh, those Brits.
0: I'm going to go ahead with your nine. That's exactly what I was thinking of. I mean, the the roles are interesting and fun. They are very big and broad characters, uh, but the people who act them out are really good at doing that. Mm -hmm. And uh, gosh, Anna Cleaves is fantastic. Um, very goofy, but pretty, pretty on point.
1: I think it also helped put Elsa Lanchester out there so that two years later, she was uh, selected by James Whale to be a certain bride of Frankenstein.
0: Oh, yeah. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Our next category is writing. How was the writing in this movie?
1: Oh, there was some great dialogue. Um, I, like, yeah, a lot more time could have been spent on Catherine Howard's character. I would have liked that because I think Catherine Howard, like I said, is the most easily dismissed of the wives. And I think her star- story is one of the more tragic ones. Um, so I guess I'll give it a seven. No, I'll give it an eight because it was really good writing.
0: I think I'm going to go ahead and give it your original 7. Okay. Um nothing wrong with it. Just uh I just feel like giving it a 7. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was I mean, pretty I- it was pretty good. Uh nothing blew me away exactly, but it was a pretty some pretty solid writing, especially with um just kind of changing gears between the different wives was probably a little bit of a challenge, but it still felt like One solid movie with the thorough through thread of um, Henry himself, which is as it should be.
1: Exactly. Exactly.
0: All right. How was the cinematography?
1: You know, I was really impressed with it. I, I figured I don't know if it's because it is a historical, you know, drama comedy. I figured it might be a little stagey, but they actually have some really good shots in there. Um, I'm thinking of uh, scenes of him hunting when he's told his uh, son has been born. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a shot, I think, of him in uh, the church when uh, Catherine and Culpepper are being executed. And they have some like really good work with the shadows there. So I'm going to give that an eye.
0: Okay. So you're going to give it a nine. Um, I am going to go ahead and give it an eight. I thought it was really, really good. Um, but maybe not, maybe not quite to the level that you thought it was, or yeah, well,
1: I was very pleasantly surprised. So we could just me over there.
0: <laughs> yeah. That, that could be it. That could be it. Our last category for the big main points is overall. How well do the acting, writing and cinematography come together for an overall product? Um, I personally am going to say that it worked out pretty well.
1: Yeah, I think it all came together pretty seamlessly. I mean, it doesn't, you know, shake you to your core or make you cry or really make you think all that much. But it does entertain you and it does surprise you in certain parts. Just the contrast. I mean, another again, the perfect example being Henry learning that uh, Jane Seymour is dead you know, a moment of like actual true solemn reflection and then absolutely eclipsed by his excitement over his son. So I'm going to, I'm going to give it another, I'm going to give it an eight, I think.
0: Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and match your eight, which is <laughs> surprisingly for me, at least is the exact average. Um, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, real, real solid movie. Um, A lot of different elements going on that all came together, and it's all held together in the middle with uh, Henry VIII and uh, Charles Lawton.
1: Yeah, he's, I mean, this is a Charles Lawton movie. Absolutely. And ain't nothing wrong with that.
0: Okay, so going into the bonus rounds, they are already standing at 66 points. Oh, go, Henry which puts them around the level of the champ. Um, Okay. Bad girl. Yeah, fair. So uh, at least that's where those people were going into the bonus rounds. But uh, let's see. Has it already beaten some of the lower level ones? Um, Has beat one hour with you already? (laughs) Beat Cimarron already? Okay. Yes. I
1: would rather watch this a million times rather than Cimarron. (laughs) and again I did not hate Cimarron like I did some of our other movies but Private Life of Enemy VIII is just much better
0: and it puts it exactly equal at this point with the total score of Smiling Through
1: I have a feeling that it it wouldn't take long for it to surpass Smiling Through
0: (laughs) All right, Uh, so let's go into the bonus rounds with costumes and set oh Um, I mean yeah, Look, looking at paintings from the time and everything like that, I actually think that they did a pretty good job. They had some very 1930s eyebrows.
1: Yeah, that's but... the thing. The hair and the makeup, I would have improved. <laughs> but The dresses are great, of course. I think Henry's always decked out fantastically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they had to actually like film on location at, I guess, various old castles around right. England because, uh, They did not have much of a budget for this movie, uh, which again speaks to, I think, Alexander Korda's talent and his brother's talent, who was the set designer. So I'm going to give him a I'm going to give him a four and just take that uh, one point off for the fact that, yeah, the women do look kind of more like they're made up for a 1930s movie in hair and makeup than uh, than some women in the 1500s.
0: I'm going to go ahead and give it a five since it did the temptation to be anachronistic with the dress is very, very tempting. Oh, absolutely. And uh, I'm going to excuse the the makeup from the 30s.
1: I mean, honestly, if you look at every single period piece movie ever made, it will be dated in just a few years because they Hollywood producers, uh, any movie producer cannot stand having women in particular. Look anything other than what's considered beautiful now. So right, you're not going to get hairy legs. You're never going to get unplugged eyebrows. You're never going to get some of the more like stark, heavy makeup. Something like uh, Barry Lyndon by uh, Kubrick, and there are other examples. Will take that risk to actually make the people look like they did back then, but most movies won't. So it is kind of unfair to like blame. Even Henry VIII for that, when that's just how it always is in these movies, but right. I stick with I'm gonna give it before.
0: <laughs> sounds fair, and speaking of making those bold choices, how about boldness? How bold was this movie? What risks did it take that paid off or not?
1: Oh, I'd say the whole tone of the movie is pretty bold. because um, th- this kind of I guess invented the modern concept we have of Henry the buffoon, Henry the Brute. I mean, he always, of course, been kind of compared to uh, Bluebeard and all of that for how he treated his wives. But this was like, I think, the first movie that really kind of captured that in full. So I'm going to I'm going to for that and for just the the kind of startling mix of comedy and drama. I'm going to give it a five.
0: Wow. A full five.
1: Full five. Full five for me.
0: Um, I'm actually gonna go quite a bit lower with three. Um <laughs> I I will. Um I thought that it um I guess it was somewhat risky, but it also is pretty safe to uh to point out the flaws in, you know, a centuries old king that is long dead. And I also thought that there were certain Certain aspects of it, of like, oh, those nagging wives trying to make us oh, be healthy yeah. and the things sexual, like that.
1: Yeah, the gender politics of this movie kind of sucks. The whole really hammering down poor Catherine Parr gets so bad at the end there.
0: Yeah, which was not borne out by history at all. There's there's uh, no historical evidence that she was a nag.
1: <laughs> no, no, yeah, uh, she, you know, she was pretty. She's pretty badass. She outlived all of them, including Henry, the only wife to do that.
0: Right. So,
1: well,
0: Anne of Cleves. Oh, sure, sure. But um you know, it definitely took some some risks, and that it is a criticism of those people who are just kind of all powerful, but kind of buffoonish, and mm-hmm. kind of have this hyper toxic masculinity. And um, it does make some good points. It does take some risks and and make some points. So I am going to yeah. give it a three, but maybe not not the full five.
1: Yeah, what I like uh is that they don't spend a lot of times obviously this is the private life of Henry VIII. they don't spend a lot of times about the political landscape, but they do show a few scenes of Henry being bullheaded and very, you know, imperialist in his attitudes towards like France. And I think that's like but again, it's 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 portrayed as him being like this childish, I wanna be a king, I wanna make my mark. And so I like that they snuck that in, even if it's a movie that's ostensibly not about the politics.
0: Right, right. Maybe uh maybe shades of pointing at certain historical figures from 1933.
1: Um there's something going on at that time <laughs> politically in Europe? What do you, what are you talking about?
0: Yeah, I mean, and that's that's definitely uh a bold choice there. Um so our next category is legacy. What kind of legacy does this movie have? How does it impact our our world of movies going forward.
1: Oh, like I said, it did have a big impact on how Henry VIII was portrayed, uh, cinematically from there on out. Um, you know, I it got it was the very first, uh, British movie to be nominated for best picture. Um, so I think it has a pretty, pretty fair legacy. I'll give it a four.
0: All right. Yeah. I think a four is, is pretty fair. It, um, I don't know if we've really watched something quite like it before this, and I, yeah. I know that it does. It feels so ordinary now, but prior to this, it 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 doesn't seem so. Uh, we didn't see anything like this before this.
1: So, and even now, we don't often get movies like this that are kind of like black comedies about historical events uh the you know the nearest example i could think of is death of stalin that recently came out there have right. been others but uh they're still pretty rare uh speak you know generally speaking
0: yeah yeah it's um it's rare but it definitely has made its mark in, yes, in history plus there's also bride of frankenstein involved so
1: you know exactly and the most reported movie of the 30s
0: Yeah, it launched uh, a couple of careers.
1: It really did. Yeah.
0: Okay. Um, Longevity. How well does this movie stand up over time? I think that it stands up pretty well. I
1: mean, yeah, I think so. I think if it were much longer, you probably lose a lot of modern audiences. And I think a lot of modern audiences would be expecting either something kind of sexy like Tudors or something kind of more... A respectful like masterpiece so they might have a hard time adjusting to the tone but once they do I think they'd enjoy it so I'll give it a three
0: you give it a three I'm gonna give it a four um, I just felt like people would get this I mean it's such it's such broad strokes and Charles Lawton's um, performance is it kind of communicates through time it doesn't feel
1: absolutely it's pretty timeless because I mean it's it's not what I'd say. I wouldn't call it hammy. I wouldn't say he overdoes it. He He's such a good actor that he's able to be big, be cartoonish, but not make it seem unrealistic.
0: Yeah, he's hammy, but in the way that Charles, not Charles, um, different King, uh, <laughs> in the way that Henry VIII was a ham. Um, yeah, exactly. Or a at least old our envision of him. Okay. And our last category for some bonus points may not be. I don't know. I don't think it, it was the strongest point of this movie, but technical. Any technical effects that you notice? I mean, they did have the outdoor hunting scene, which I think was done OK. Um, but. Uh, the lines are obviously recorded more in a soundstage area, I think um or maybe they were recorded outside i don't know
1: maybe i'll give it a one just on good faith because the movie leaves a good feeling but i can't really think of anything that stands out so give it a one
0: i think i'm going to match your one um there's nothing that was really again this is just chances for bonus points it's not that it exactly. is poorly technically it's just that it it didn't have it didn't you know
1: out.
0: chance for special effects really <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no. Unfortunately, there's no saying of Henry in his starship.
0: All right. That brings us to a very solid total of exactly 100 points.
1: Whoa, that's, that's not the first time we've gotten like a just a square 100. That's crazy. I
0: think so. I think so. Um,
1: I'd say it's earned.
0: So the closest that we have here on this page anyways is uh, with 98 would be Shanghai Express. And with uh ninety-seven, she done him wrong is not far behind. So I would say I would say it's a little bit better than she done him wrong, which yeah. I guess I guess in terms of points it is.
1: <laughs> I would love to see Charles Lawton and Mae West together though. Oh my gosh.
0: Oh, that would be interesting. Maybe maybe she could play Catherine of Aragon. Oh my gosh. Fine.
1: Oh, no. Oh, I love it.
0: I love it. That that will be the going back in time and making them write a sequel, a prequel.
1: We got to get together about that time machine, Jason, one of these days.
0: All right. Well, we have rated the movie. We have reviewed it. The last question, of course, is whether or not we will give it the prestigious Notzker Award, a movie podcast movie award about movies.
1: I think I'm going to I'm going to make this our first. Just like it was the first one to be nominated for an Oscar, our first uh, British film, I guess, to be nominated for an Oscar.
0: Excellent. I'm going to go ahead and agree with that. Um, I think that is also the first uh, Oscar nominee for this year, this uh, this season. I
1: think you're right. I think you're right. Um, I don't think you know it's going to win the year again. I know some (laughs) of the movies we have this year, um, but. I mean, it's great. It's a, it's a real, it's a real gem, folks. I would go see, I would see it if I were you.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a fun movie and uh, one that I'd actually watched beforehand. So we're getting to the point where we're watching movies that uh, even I have heard of. Hey,
1: okay, Yeah. I mean, I think that those talkies are finally hitting their stride. They might actually stick around.
0: Okay. I think that's it with, uh, with the Oscar nomination. We are set with uh, this episode. If you want to contact us, you can contact us at Comeback A Star on uh, Twitter. If you want to email us, you can contact us at Comeback A Star podcast at gmail.com. And um, we are also on a Facebook group. If you just kind of go to that search bar and search Comeback A Star, I'm sure we'll pop up. Um, yes go ahead and, and like the page. We are not great about maintaining it and also we we've been a little bit bad about releasing things on time sorry about that we're still dealing with um learning how to record remotely and everything like that but uh but things will improve i promise we'll figure it out Um, we'll figure it out thank you for your patience and i think after that i am going to uh call this an episode and uh i'm going to go back upstairs and not behead my wife i uh, i will not not divorce her or anything like that i mean just
1: remember though a divorce is always better than a beheading
0: that is true uh we'll just do a public service announcement right now if you're considering beheading your wife um maybe don't play cards
1: with her and if that doesn't work out Give her, let, give into her terms, and you might have a friend for life.
0: Yeah, there we go. People, people should be nicer to each other, as is yes. covered by another great movie, The Room. If, if more <laughs> people loved each other, the world would be a better place.
1: That was Henry VIII. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. Wow. So now that we've left you with the idea of Henry VIII, played by Tommy Wiseau, I
1: will am... lead you to your stomach.
0: <laughs> All right, everyone, signing off. I'm going to close these curtains. I'm going to turn off the projector and goodbye.
1: Bye bye.